Um, and so I, I think that's good for us to hear a little different phrasing every now and then. And the second is, the first verse covers the whole passage. So you, you could stop after the first one and uh, it'd be good, but it's nice that it gets, the, the thought of the scripture is elaborated on here. So uh, try to listen with new ears today. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He, gives me, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy, no, nope, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, kids, it's time. Words. We are in a series called I Am, looking at Jesus's identity according to his own words. Many times in John's gospel, Jesus said, I am blank. So we're looking at those descriptors of Jesus because it not only tells us who he is, but as followers of Christ, who we need to be. So this is a really important study, a really important series, so that we can know Jesus better and that we can follow him more closely. In John chapter 9, if you have a Bible, you might open it up to John 9, John 10. We're going to be hovering back and forth there. But in John chapter 9, that is the question that is lingering throughout the events of that chapter. Who is Jesus? The Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, were blinded to Jesus's identity quite often by their own pride and stubbornness and preconceived ideas about who the Messiah would be. So they struggled to answer that question, who is Jesus? But in chapter 9, they're trying to get to the bottom of it. And what they conclude at the end of chapter 9, as they watch Jesus do what they call work on the Sabbath, he is helping people, but when they see him help people on the Sabbath, they say, we know who Jesus is. He is a sinner. And that's the word that is used to answer that question, who is Jesus, when the Pharisees answer it. He's a sinner. Of course, we know that that's not the case at all. It's just the opposite. And Jesus tells us who he is. He had just, in chapter 9, healed a man who was blind from birth, a man who could not see. And when the Pharisees see what happens, and they see this man, they want to understand who this man Jesus is who's done this. And so they approach this man who can now see, and I think it's interesting that they don't, as far as we can see in chapter 9 of John's Gospel, they don't congratulate him, they don't celebrate with him, they don't rejoice with him, who is obviously rejoicing because now, after all these years, he can see. That's not their first move. Isn't that odd? I think we should be leery of anyone whose agenda seems more important than people. I think it's strange that they did not congratulate him, that they didn't say, man, that's awesome, you can see now. They didn't do any of that. They didn't even really acknowledge the gift that he'd been given. They simply used this man to confirm their assumptions about Jesus's identity as a sinner. They simply used him. 
Well, amid this question about Jesus's identity, who Jesus is, Jesus tells us, We don't have to guess. The Pharisees didn't have to guess. People watching didn't have to guess. As we will see a little bit later, that man didn't have to guess either. Jesus says who he is. And so when chapter 10 opens up, by the way, you know we are the ones who added the numbers, the verses, the chapters. This is just one complete narrative. But as chapter 10 opens up, Jesus then uses two of the I am statements in John's gospel. At least seven times in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am something. Well, two of them happen right here in John chapter 10. And I want us to look at what Jesus says about himself. And to do that, I want to read a rather lengthy passage, okay? We don't normally do that because we all have short attention spans, right? Some of you just joined me back when I said that. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand up for the reading of this word. So go ahead and stand up so we can stay focused on this passage And as I read these verses, I want you to have this question in your mind. Who is Jesus? And the second part of that question is, what does it mean for me? Who is Jesus? What does it mean for me? Listen to this. Jesus' words from John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You can be seated. Jesus says a lot there, doesn't he? He tells us who he is, and he says, I am the good shepherd. And when he says, I am the good shepherd, he explains what that means. And one of the ways he does that is by contrasting that with those who are not good shepherds, who those those would-be shepherds, those one those ones who came before him, those who will come after him, who claim to be the Messiah. Or maybe those who have been given charge over God's people, the religious leaders of the day. He says they don't have an investment. They don't have ownership. They're only looking after themselves. The true good shepherd, he provides, he protects, he puts his life on the line. But a hired hand, he's not going to care. The first sign of trouble, what he's going to do 
is skedaddle. He's going to bolt. He's going to get out of there, right? Because he has no ownership. He has no investment. Someone has said that you don't wash a rental car. <laughs> you ever heard that? You don't wash a rental car. And the idea is that that doesn't belong to you, so why would you go out of your way to take care of it? Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I guess I must admit I don't think I've ever washed a rental car. But the idea, I think, does resonate. If you work for a company and it's just a job in your mind, you may clock in, kind of do your job, but you can't wait to clock out and go on with the rest of your life. But if you own the company, that's a different story, isn't it? If you own the company, you want it to succeed, and there's no clocking in and clocking out. It's pretty much your life, at least a big part of your life. Why? Because you care deeply, because you have ownership, because you have invested literally into this company. Jesus says, as the good shepherd, I invested in your spiritual welfare. So much so that I will give up everything for you to have what you need. Someone else, a hired hand, he doesn't really care. He's got nothing on the line, so the first sign of trouble, he's going to leave. That reveals the identity of Jesus. It tells us about the heart of Jesus, that he cares deeply for us. He says he came here for a reason. What's the reason he came here? Look at verse 10. To give us life. One version says abundant life. This version says life to the full. If you're a, a Bible marker, you know, highlighter, underliner, this one should be underlined. Why did Jesus come? To give you life. You see, when we learn about Jesus, we learn why he did what he did, and that has direct implications for us. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life to give you life. And not just a life, abundant life. Life to the full, eternal life. This idea of shepherding is so interesting in the biblical text. It is without question the prevailing model for leadership in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Time and time again, this idea of shepherding comes up. There have been books written about leading as a shepherd. It's a good model for leadership. It's a biblical model of leadership. But for us, who live in a much different context, maybe it sounds a little foreign. I mean, are there any literal shepherds in the house today? Anybody? I don't see any hands. Maybe some of you have shown a sheep in FFA or 4-H, right? Maybe the closest you've been to a shepherd is you ordered lamb chops at a restaurant. I don't know. <laughs> you have a wool sweater? I don't know. We, don't, we aren't shepherds, many of us, and so it's a little bit strange as a metaphor. But we understand. Jesus tells us what it means to be a good shepherd. He tells us what it means to lead with the heart of a shepherd. And so for us, really, think about this, for us to understand true leadership, and I would argue not just in the church, but leadership in any context, for us to understand that, we must understand what it means to be a good shepherd. And Jesus tells us exactly what it means. He becomes our model. He becomes the chief shepherd. He becomes the pattern for leadership. That is the case, I think, for all of us. But certainly, that is the case for our shepherds here our shepherds who oversee this flock that same word is used 
for the leaders of local congregations. It's used in the New Testament. Our elders are shepherds. They are also pastors. They are bishops. They are overseers. Those are all New Testament words to describe their role. And yes, Jesus is the chief shepherd, but they, in many ways, are, the word has been used, under shepherds, under the chief shepherd. And as we all look to Jesus as our example, certainly our elders look to him and understanding what it means to shepherd the flock. And so Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, listen to his words, specifically written to shepherds. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Peter says, as a fellow shepherd, a fellow elder, we all look to the chief shepherd. And our job is to oversee, is to protect and provide for the flock, just as the good shepherd Jesus himself did and does. Well, here at Edmund, it is time to add new shepherds. We actually assess this, and we take a look at this every year. And this year, it's time to add some new shepherds to help our guys oversee, lead, and shepherd this congregation. And so the goal is to add two to four men to join our group of shepherds. And we're placing this process, which really will be a process of spiritual discernment, in the larger context or the larger process of discipleship, of disciple-making. We did this about three years ago. If you were here, maybe you remember it. If you weren't here, then I hope that you will fully participate in this process because it's so important, not just for, for selecting new shepherds, but for us commending each other and acknowledging those among us who are making disciples. Remember I said we're going to embed this in a larger process of disciple-making and discipleship. When you look at the New Testament, it really doesn't give specific instructions on how to go about adding shepherds. I think, I think God gives us a little bit of freedom there among congregations as to how we do that. But we certainly want to use some biblical principles that we see when shepherds were appointed and ordained in the New Testament. For example, you see in Acts 20 that the Holy Spirit was directly involved. Well, we want to seek the Holy Spirit's wisdom and involvement. You see in Acts 14 that there was prayer and fasting involved. And we're going to call this congregation to a time of prayer and fasting in this process. Throughout the New Testament, when you see decisions like this being made, it is a, a process of spiritual discernment. And that's what we want this to be. We're not going to get in a hurry. We're going to, to really lean on God and look for His wisdom and the leading of the Spirit in this. You know, sometimes in churches, we, we bring our Western mentality into church life and we view things like this uh, from a democracy standpoint. And we think about, you know, votes and nominations and, and that kind of thing. But that's not the case. That's not the case in the Bible. That's not the case in the New Testament. We aren't nominating. We aren't going to vote. We certainly don't want anyone campaigning. We're going to prayerfully, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Bumper stickers, 
I was about to go somewhere, but I will not do that. Uh, (laughs) What we're going to do is prayerfully and carefully call on God in this time of spiritual discernment for God to raise up, not only, as I said, shepherds for us, but for us to be able to commend those among us who are actively making disciples. Let Let me try to explain. On your pew, there's an envelope. On the end of the pew, maybe either end. Would you, whoever's closest to that, get those envelopes and sort of distribute them among your your pews so that you can take a look at these. There's two forms in this envelope. They should be everywhere. Feel free to get up and go get some on the pew next to you if you need to. By the way, these are out in the lobby as well. So our God-given mission, as we say all the time, is to make disciples. We talk about that a lot. Hopefully we do more than talk about that. Hopefully we're actively making disciples. And that is happening among us. It's so encouraging to hear the stories, to see people among us who are discipling others. Certainly there are people in your life, people among this church family who are discipling you. And what I mean by that is they are are causing you to grow closer to Christ and Christ-likeness. They are encouraging you, encouraging you spiritually. They are supporting you. They are ministering to you. They are opening up God's word with you. They are praying for you, praying with you. They are walking through life with you. Maybe they're holding you accountable. They are listening to you. These kinds of things, nurturing discipleship. I know that you have people like that in your life. At least I certainly hope so. Well, our shepherds, our elders, they want to know who those people are because they want to commend them. They want to say, thank you for embracing the Great Commission. Thank you for for living your life in a way that brings others to Christ and Christ-likeness. Does it sound familiar? If you were here three years ago, we did something very similar. And so that yellow form, look at that yellow form. The purpose of that yellow form is to identify people in this congregation, men, women, young, old, people who are actively discipling you. They are encouraging you and strengthening you in your walk with Christ. They are actively do that. Not just sort of, yeah, they're, they're kind of nice to me when I go to church. No, someone who is investing in you. Someone who is intentional about bringing you closer to Christ and Christ-likeness. And write their names down there, whoever they are. You'll notice there's a place there. If you honestly pray about this and you think about this and you think, you know what? i got to be honest. I, I don't really think there is anyone doing that for me. Well, that... That's important for our leaders to know because we don't want anyone. We don't want anyone to go through life not having others discipling them and encouraging them and supporting them spiritually. And so be honest. If that's the case, mark that. Last time we did this, there were some who who checked that box. We want to follow up there as well. But write those names down. Pray about that. Turn those names in. So that's what the yellow form is for. As you can see, there's also a QR code on both of these. If you'd rather do it online, that's great. Just use that QR code. They're also listed on our website in our forms section. If you've been there, you can go to CCB and find them there as well. So they're, they're available online. But when you look and you consider those names on your yellow form, are there then some men, in the New Testament, God ordains men to serve as shepherds. Are there some men who have the heart of a shepherd, who are actively discipling you and or others, and who, based on those passages on that green form, who have this heart of a shepherd, 
who represent the qualifications, not the qualifications, they aren't qualifications, they are qualities. It's not a checklist, but that gives us a picture of the heart and the life of a shepherd. Is there someone who stands out to you and you think, yeah, you know, this guy really is shepherding me, discipling me. I think he could, I think he could be a good asset to this, to this eldership. Then write that name down and submit that name or, or those two or three names or whatever it is on that green form. Someone you would like to recommend as a possible shepherd. Isn't that what we want? We want disciple makers to be our leaders. We want, we want men with the heart of a shepherd. And I'll say this, yes, in the New Testament, um, God ordains men to serve as shepherds, but it's a team effort. Their wives are just as important. And they, many of our shepherds, they shepherd together. And their families are important. And it is an it is a team effort, I can assure you. And so consider all of that as well as you submit names. Again, read through these scriptures. We're not in a hurry on this. You have a couple of weeks to do this. So pray about it. Take these forms home or use the online version. Two weeks from today is actually Easter Sunday. And that is the deadline. That's April 17th. So take this home, pray about it. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it. Uh, it's a great teaching opportunity for your children. Talk to your children about it. And then submit these forms by April 17th. Again, those online forms are available as well. And as I said, the goal, the desire is for us to add two to four men to serve as shepherds along with our other shepherds in the eldership right now. And we want to be very discerning through this process and have the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so, just as I ask you to pray about this, let's pause right now and pray about this important process, that God would be present and active among it. Let's join together. Father God, thank you for so many things that you've given us. We thank you for the church, Father. It gives us a community. It gives us people and a place to, to get connected, to encourage and be encouraged. And Father, we are thankful for our shepherds. It is not an easy job. God, there is there is pain, there are tough decisions, there are relationships that are impacted. Father, I just want to lift our shepherds up to you. I want to pray for them, for their wives, for their families. I want to pray for strength and peace. I want to pray for wisdom. Father, we are thankful for the work they do as they submit to the chief shepherd. And Father, as we go into this process of discernment, I pray that you would bring to our hearts and minds the people who are discipling us so that they can be thanked, they can be recognized. Not to receive glory, but to give you the glory because you are using us to make disciples here in this community and around the world. Father, for that we are thankful. And God, help us as we select men to join our eldership as shepherds. Father, I pray for those families that will go through this process. I pray for everyone who will write a name down, that it would be bathed in prayer, that your spirit would guide us, and Father, ultimately, that we would be unified in purpose in our calling to be your children, disciples who make disciples. And Father, we look to you and we submit to you, and we pray in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus, amen. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to our shepherds or to our ministry staff and we'd be happy to help you with that so about five years ago in this town in Spain called Huesca you can see from the video these sheep 
evidently got out and started walking up the city roads, walking up and down the city roads. Look at that. It was a wild and wooly situation. See what I did there? I won't say that was bad, okay? I won't do that. I will not do that. That's so, I won't do that. So yeah, these sheep are going through the city streets. Look at that. There's over a thousand sheep in this flock. It's flock, right? Not herd. I think it's a flock. Over a thousand sheep in this flock. And the police get a call at 4.30 a.m. Hey, uh, yeah, there are thousands of sheep in the city streets. I mean, can you imagine the guy who saw that at 4.30? First of all, what's he doing up at 4.30? And he sees these sheep. They call the police. Did you see the flashing lights? So the police come out. And the story is, here's what happened. The shepherd, the guy watching these sheep outside of town, fell asleep. He fell asleep. And while he was asleep, the sheep got away. He was supposed to stay with them outside of town until 7 a.m., and then that's when he was supposed to sort of lead them through and around town up to an area where they were going to graze during the hot summer months. But he fell asleep, and the sheep got away. (laughs) Well, the police, obviously became shepherds didn't they in many ways quite literally the sheep or the police officers became shepherds and if you think about that I mean a good police officer probably is like a shepherd in many ways we, we said it is the model of leadership good police officer protects provides watches over people but these police officers literally became shepherds herding sheep well in Jesus's day those who were supposed to be shepherds were more like police officers in the sense of enforcing the law, waiting for people to mess up and break the law. And Jesus comes along and he gives us this picture of what a true shepherd looks like as he identifies himself as the good shepherd. And not only is Jesus revealing who he is, his own identity, he is in many ways exposing those who are supposed to be watching over the flock, the religious leaders, many of them, of his day. And so as he describes himself as the good shepherd, we learn some things not only about leadership that we can apply to our own lives, but more importantly, we learn some things about Jesus. And the first thing we see is that the good shepherd, he protects. That's what a good shepherd does. He protects the flock at all costs. Did you see what Jesus said? He says, you know, there's a thief that comes, there's a robber, they come to kill and destroy. He says there's wolves that come, but the good shepherd, the good shepherd will do what? He will lay down his life. Imagine the sheep sort of corralled in this rock cave or some area like that, which wasn't uncommon back then. And the shepherd will literally lie down in front of it as the gate. Did you remember what Jesus said in our reading? Not only am I the good shepherd, he said, I am the gate. So he he will lie down in front. Which means if you threaten the flock, if you're a wolf, if you're a bear, if you're someone trying to get to the flock to harm them in some way, you've got to go over Jesus, don't you? You've got to go over the good shepherd. But he also says, if you want to be a part of the flock... If you want to be identified with the flock, God's people, you have to go through Jesus. Early in our series, we looked at when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me, except by me. Jesus lays down his life 
That's the model of leadership. That's the model for shepherds, to protect the flock. He doesn't protect by force. He protects by sacrifice. You, I think it's interesting here that he doesn't necessarily build fences. I don't think good shepherds necessarily build fences around the sheep. But in fact, I don't know that fences are needed when a good shepherd is doing his job, when he is willing to lay down his life for the flock. That's what Jesus does. Jesus says, I care so much about you. I care so much about you that I will give up everything for you to have what? Do you remember verse 10? Life to the full. When Jesus protects us, it costs him something. That's the nature of providing protection. It costs something. For Jesus, it cost him his life. What else does it say about Jesus? The good shepherd, he not only protects, but he provides. See, a good shepherd feeds the flock, cares for the flock, nurtures the flock, watches over them. The thief, he comes to do destruction, to kill, to destroy. But the good shepherd comes to give life, abundant life. You see, he provides that life. And that's why the sheep trust him. That's why they follow him, because they know he has their best interest in mind. They know that he provides what they need. And if you look at Psalm 23, the psalm that J.C. read earlier, it is a psalm of provision, isn't it? It's a psalm of provision. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me beside the quiet waters, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He comforts me. He puts a table. He prepares a table before me. He provides. He anoints my head with oil. My cup does what? It overflows. God provides. And finally, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is provision. That is God saying, I care so deeply for you. I'm not only going to protect you, but I'm going to give you what you need most. And so you can walk through any valley. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you don't have to fear evil because I am with you. And I provide for you. And finally, the good shepherd knows his sheep. He says, I know my sheep, and they know me. I know them by name. I think that's interesting to think about a shepherd calling his sheep by name. <laughs> but first of all, it says that this is very personal. The sheep have a name. God knows your name. Jesus says, I call them by name. I know them, <clears throat> and they know me, and they follow me because they recognize my voice. They follow me because they know my voice. Now, it is said that you can go to the Middle East right now, in the rural areas especially, and you can see shepherds with sheep. And, and one of the things that you can see, probably something that was happening even in Jesus' day, that these shepherds take their flocks of sheep to different pastures to graze, and then they bring them back home. And as they're bringing them back home, around dusk, they stop to water them at a watering hole. And so there are multiple flocks there at the watering hole, and all the sheep get mixed up. They get all mixed up. Well, that would be a concern for most of us. I mean, again, we're not shepherds. I'm not a shepherd. 
but I would be like, oh, how are we going to get those divided? How are we going to know who's, you know, my sheep are going to go with him? And that's not a problem. Because each one of those shepherds has a distinct call, a whistle, a certain sound, a certain note on a reed pipe. And when it's time to go, they just make that sound, they make that call, and those sheep recognize that call. They know that's my shepherd, it's time to go. And when they hear that call, they go with their shepherd. And if they hear another call, they don't recognize it, it's not their shepherd. Jesus says, I know my sheep, I know them, very personal. And they know me, they know my voice, and they follow me because they recognize my voice. When you think about applying that to our lives today in our world, that is so important because there are so many competing voices, so many competing voices out there, and let's be honest, sometimes in here, sometimes in our own minds, in our own heads, and sometimes those are the loudest voices. There are so many voices saying, come this way, hey, try this. There are so many voices saying, hey, this isn't right, you need to go over here. Hey, don't you wanna be happy? Give that stuff up. That's not where you find happiness. Happiness is found over here. Look around you at the people who have it all. Don't you want to be like them? There are so many voices calling out to us. Sometimes it's hard to hear the distinctive voice of our good shepherd. But the more we know him, the more we recognize his voice. He says, I know you. Do you know me? The shepherd imagery in John chapter 10, it's being used to answer the question, who is Jesus? Jesus uses that to tell us who he is. But maybe the more pressing question right now in this moment is, who are you? Are you a follower of the good shepherd? Do you truly know him? Do you spend time with him? Do you recognize his distinct voice among all the other voices that you hear? Do you know the voice of Jesus? Are you following it? At the end of chapter 9, remember the blind man who Jesus gave sight to? Well, the Pharisees, they sort of target him and they use him and in some ways they sort of torment him and, and finally he's sort of beaten and bruised but yet he can see so he's still happy. And Jesus finds him. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Isn't that an interesting question? It's interesting that he didn't ask him right after he gave him sight. But he goes through all of this with the Pharisees, and all of this is this question, who is Jesus, who is Jesus? That's what they're trying to decide, who is Jesus? And then after that, Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy says, I, I, don't, I don't know. Tell me who he is, and I'll believe in him. And I think the way that's worded, I think what the guy is saying is, hey, man, if you're, if you're selling me something, I'm buying it. You know, If you know who the Son of Man is, I'm going to believe whatever you say because you just gave me sight. You just changed my life. You just gave me hope. So I'm with you, Jesus. You just tell me who he is, and I'll believe you. And what does Jesus say? The one talking to you. That's who he is. That gives you chills, doesn't it? And then in verse 38, notice what the man says. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I believe. I know who you are. 
I don't care what anyone else is saying. I don't care what anyone else is doing. I know who you are and what you've done for me, and that's all I need to know. And he bowed down to him. And so the question is, who is Jesus? But it's also, who are you in relation to Jesus? Can you respond the same way? Lord, I believe. Do you recognize his voice? Do you follow his voice? Today, we want to help you with that. Only you know what that looks like. Maybe it means asking for support, help. Maybe it's confessing wrongdoing. Maybe it's going to someone else and reconciling. Maybe it's being a better shepherd. Maybe it's being a better sheep. We all have leadership opportunities, even outside this context. Are you leading with the heart of Jesus? Are you following the voice of Jesus? Maybe today you're ready to respond like the blind man did when he received sight, when his life was changed, and you say, Lord, I believe. Maybe today is the day you say, I do believe. You answer that question. We always ask in the baptistry, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Maybe you're ready to make that great confession and be baptized into Christ to live for him. We want to help you with that. In just a moment, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor or room right behind me. They'd love to visit with you and pray for you and encourage you. Go there before you take off if you'd like. Or you can come down the front and we will lift you up in prayer and help you out. If there's something we can do, I invite you to come as we stand and sing. Gentle shepherd, come and lead us. For we need you to help us find our way. Gentle shepherd.